We love to honor people here at Christian Life. <laughs> Glory to God. But we like to honor people. Uh, if you have your Bible or maybe your phone or something, turn to First Peter. It's not very common that, or at least for me, that I get to do just a standalone message where it's not a part of a series. Uh, so today I just get to share from my heart on what the Lord has been really speaking to me just personally over the last three or four months, just an idea. Uh, so we're going to talk about it today. So turn to First Peter chapter 2. And while you are turning there, I just want to tell you the title of the message. The title is in the form of a question. What does God like? So what does God like? What pleases God? What makes his heart well up with joy? And if you are in a relationship of any value in your life, you probably tend to ask that question. What do they like? What do they dislike? I remember for me, back in 2014, me and Tara got married on August 9th of 2014, and on August 10th, at like 4 a.m., we woke up to head on to our honeymoon, and the honeymoon was something that I wanted to plan, that I wanted to be in charge of, and so as I was planning and thinking through, I thought, you know, I want to hang out with Tara, I want to get away, I want to have fun, and so I remember as I planned through ideas, I filtered the plans through what I would like. <laughs> How did I vacation growing up? What would I like to do? And so for me, a vacation was people and fun and doing things and hanging out and music and loud and meet people and get to know them and hang out. And so I planned our honeymoon through that lens. And so we went to a resort in Jamaica. And when we get there, there's people everywhere and music. It was loud and I was pumped. And very quickly learned that Tara was not pumped. And so I would learn, of course, we made the best of it. It was fun. It was awesome. But I learned there that for Tara, what she likes is no people, <laughs> beach, private beach house, on the sand, by the ocean, a book, and that's it. And so, of course, a rookie mistake but it hit me there. I never stopped to ask, what does she like? What does she like? Because if you're in a relationship of value, you want to ask, what do they like? And of course, with our spouse, it's great. Friendship, great. All that is awesome. But the greatest relationship we are in is with our Heavenly Father, with our Lord Jesus, with God. And so what does God like? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but what does he like? We know he loves us. We know that he did a bunch of stuff for us, but what can now we do that pleases his heart? And that's what today's message is all about. We could, we could turn this into a year-long series on what does God like, but today I just want to talk deeply about one aspect of this. And so in 1 Peter, just to give you the context, it was written by the Apostle Peter who was known to be the apostle of hope. He was a hope bringer. And so when he wrote 1 Peter, he wrote it to a group of believers that needed some hope. They were facing persecution. They were facing suffering. And so in 
in the face of society and government making it extremely difficult to be a Christian, a Christ follower, the Apostle Peter, through the Spirit's leading, writes a letter to bring them hope. And so chapter 1, Peter just he shoots off, just rapid fire, a bunch of hope. He reminds them that their hope is based in that Jesus is going to return. He will return. He will come back. And so just hold fast, keep fighting, because our hope is in the, re- in the return of Christ, and our glorious inheritance is in him. Peter reminds them that trials will come in this life, and they will prove our faith to be genuine if our faith is kept intact through the trial. He reminds them to reject conforming to culture, and reminds them that obedience to God leads to loving others like Jesus. And so all of this just in chapter 1. But then we get to chapter 2. And so let me read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5. All of this in pursuit of answering the question, what does God like? So verse 4. As you, believers, come to him, Jesus, Jesus being a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so verse 5 says, You yourselves, believers in Christ, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Peter's using the imagery here of stones. And, and a single stone by itself doesn't really do much, but you collect a bunch of stones together, you turn it into something incredible. So Peter's using the imagery, all of us, like living stones, together make beautiful things, like a spiritual house. So together we do incredible things. And so then he shifts over to a different imagery. He uses the imagery of... Old Testament references. In verse 5, he says, as you're being built up into a spiritual house, God is calling you to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And so what we have to do here is, is pause and do some Old Testament refreshing. So go with me on this journey. In the Old Testament, God chose the Jewish people to be his people. This is the beginning of the Bible, the first part. And so God chooses the Jewish people to be his people, and he chose specifically to first dwell among his people in a portable tabernacle. So just imagine every week we are having church in a different spot. This is kind of what they did. They would travel and venture, and they would transfer this portable tabernacle And it was in this tabernacle, like a tent, that God would dwell among his people. And it was there where the people would gather around the tabernacle. And you'd see leaders like Moses and King David gathered around the tabernacle, worshiping around it. And then the tabernacle would eventually become the temple, which would be built by King Solomon, the son of King David. And the temple was this huge, beautiful temple where now God would dwell inside of this geographically fixed temple. And so whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, only the high priest 
were allowed to enter into God's presence once a year. One time every year, the high priest would enter into God's presence and make sacrifices on behalf of themselves and the people. And again, only once a year. Nobody else was allowed to enter God's presence or they would die. And so the high priest specifically would enter into what's called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And to get into this most holy place, the high priest would go behind this massive curtain. So if you could just imagine the length of this room, almost the height of this room, just a massive curtain all the way down. And on the other side of the curtain was the holy of holies. And only the high priest could enter that place once a year. And they would actually tie a rope around his ankle just in case he dropped dead. And they're not going in there to help him. They're going to pull him out by the rope. One priest, once a year, entered the presence of God in this geographically fixed temple. And this is the way it was for a long time. Until Jesus shows up. And so now, again, we're just, we're, we're reviewing almost the entire Bible in three minutes. But Jesus, as the Lamb of God, that would take away the sins of the entire world and, and offer an extension of forgiveness to all, when he was hanging on the cross and would ultimately die, something interesting happens. Matthew 27 Verse 51 says that right after Jesus breathed this last, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this 60 feet long, 30 feet high, four inch thick curtain torn in half. Not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. It was God's attempt. Why did this happen? It was, a, it was a powerful prophetic statement from God saying, no longer will a curtain separate my presence from my people. It was a powerful statement from God that what happened on the cross will allow now all believers to enter his presence. So what Jesus did is he marked the beginning of a new age, a new covenant and in this new covenant, it would not be defined by a particular race. It would not be defined by a specific geographical nation that congregates at a specific building to witness a select high priest offer literal animal sacrifices to God on our behalf. Now, that old covenant has been done away with. And in the new all people from every nation are invited in. Believers in Christ are now priests to God. Every believer, not just one, all. All believers now are God's priesthood, made holy by the blood of Jesus, which is what Peter means when he says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you are a holy priesthood. You when you think of a priest, I wonder what comes to your mind. Probably think of the guy that gets his butt kicked every time he walks in on the demon and an exorcism. No, no, no. Mm -mm. That's just a guy with a gown on. I'm, I'm talking about a priest. 
a royal, holy priest accepted by God into the presence, full of power, a priest. And so what does this mean for us? It means that for the Christian, you have access to God anywhere at any time. You don't have to travel across the sea to go to a temple to pray and hope you don't die standing in the presence. You have complete access to God at any time. When you're alone in your house, you can enter the Holy of Holies. When you're in your car, you can enter that place. When you gather here with fellow believers as your, your royal priesthood, brothers and sisters, we can enter into the Holy of Holies because we are his royal, holy priesthood. And so with that established, that's your identity, but we still haven't answered the question, what does God like? We understand that we can actually do something pleasing to God as priests. But then what? Then what are we to do? Remember, the Old Testament priests offered physical sacrifices that were accepted by God. But now let's go back to verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So as a holy priesthood, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's where we see what it is that God likes as God's new covenant priesthood that are in Christ covered by his blood, made holy. We are not required to offer physical sacrifices anymore. That's been done by Jesus once and for all. It's finished. But now, instead of physical sacrifices, we offer spiritual sacrifices sacrifices, which is what pleases God. It's like a sweet aroma to him. We offer spiritual sacrifices. And so what is a spiritual sacrifice? You probably ask. Again, we could take a whole year and week after week cover spiritual sacrifices, week one, week two. But today, I'll hit just a quick few, but then I want to dive into one. So Hebrews, let's just see one quick hitter. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What is God like? Do good, serve others, be generous. All are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. For example, this past week, I took our SUV to get serviced, to get an oil change and tires rotated before we would leave for vacation this week. And so when I get there, you know, I mentioned that, hey, the back tires are kind of loud. Can you check it out? They checked it out to see that we needed an all-new wheel bearing, not just on the back left, but both of the back tires needed a, a new wheel bearing. Of course, I'm like, how much does that cost? It's like, it's going to be about... 400 each, plus you need all new brake pads, and then the oil change, and then the tires rotated, and then we can scan it to see what else you need. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, let's just do one wheel bearing for now. Just do the one that is more likely for the tire to come off. <laughs> and then just do the oil change, and then we'll just, we'll figure out the rest later and so I leave 
And, and I noticed it was taking a lot longer than normal, so I called, and they're like, yeah, we're having an issue with this wheel bearing. We hope to be done soon. I'm like, oh, okay. So a couple hours after that go by, I come back in the afternoon, and, and then I walk in, and, and now I know what was happening. But when I walk in, I noticed a lot of the employees all congregated behind the desk. I'm like, what is going on? Like, and so I walk up, and I say, I'm Landon Fleming here to get my Explorer. And they say, okay, hold on. And they go back, and they get my keys. And he comes back, and he puts the keys down, and then he says, here's your keys, here's your receipt. I said, here's my card. He said, it's all covered. Yeah. He said, not only what you asked us to do covered, he said, everything you asked us not to do, that was covered. Also, when we looked in your car, we noticed there was a lot of leaking gaskets. Those got replaced and covered as well. And so I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> they said, when you were talking to us in the waiting room, a gentleman overheard you, and he could tell that you were like, you know, wanting to just do what you needed to do, and he said, as soon as you walked out, he got up, walked to the front, and he said, the Lord led him to cover everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was stunned. I had tears in my eyes. I said, praise God. <laughs> but Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. And the person that was generous to my family, again, he was very clear that he felt God lead him. The Lord led him to do this. And whatever, whoever that was, covered what was $1,400 worth of work. And that was a spiritual sacrifice, according to Hebrews. And it was pleasing to God. Again, what this guy could have done is said, this is my name. Tell him it was me. He wanted just to remain anonymous. He didn't want the credit. He wanted the Lord to get the credit. That is a spiritual sacrifice. So it's the spiritual sacrifice of doing good in Jesus' name and being generous. I mean, Pastor Ron just talked about the generosity of this church and, and funding kids and students to go to a camp for way cheaper than really it costs. And that, we don't know, or at least I don't know who gave towards that. It's spiritual sacrifice. Generosity in Jesus' name. But again, that's just a quick hitter. I'm not going to preach that message. But another... One, on and on we could go. Romans 12, 1. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a life laid down, completely surrendered to God, which means in our thinking, in our doing, in our believing we are pure in our, and, and holy, in our actions we are pure and holy, in our heart posture, in our outward duty, this is what it means, according to the scriptures, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So a, a spiritual sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice that pleases God is when we live in purity, when we live in holiness, when we reject and war by the Spirit, 
against sin and refuse to conform to the patterns of this world. We refuse to talk like the world. We refuse to live like the world. We refuse to think like the world. We refuse to spend our money like the world. We refuse to raise our kids like the world. All of this is a spiritual sacrifice pleasing to God. It requires some warring on our end. It requires a lot of denying of the flesh to walk in holiness and purity. But just know when you do that by the Spirit's strength, it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a spiritual sacrifice. I I think for too long, the church and Christians in an attempt to be relevant and cool have found themselves marked by conformity and lacking and walking in holiness. And I just I even thought this morning, maybe it's, maybe it's because, maybe it's a, it might be a striving to be relevant or a, hyper, or, or a hyper-focusing on the love of God. Now, hear me, God is loving, but God is holy, and he calls us to be the same. I mean, if you look at Revelation, the four beasts and the elders around the throne of God, what they are not saying, they could choose to say anything in worship of God. What they're not saying is love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Again, God is loving. Scriptures make that clear. I've experienced it firsthand. God is loving but his love is holy. And, and, and I think in a hyper focus on the love produces a lax on also walking in holiness. But when we do that, it is a pleasing sacrifice unto the Lord. So may we repent and come back. He's loving. He's also holy. And we too, like First Peter says, In chapter 1, as he who called you is holy, you too should be holy. And may we be a holy priesthood, which is a sacrifice to him. Okay, I got to stop. That's not my message. (laughs) So doing good, being generous, serving others, walking in holiness and purity, surrounding your life and laying it down before the Father every single day. All is how we as priests can offer spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. He likes it. In fact, he loves it. It ministers to him. It blesses his heart. But the one that burdens my heart the most today that I want to deeply unpack is what we see in Hebrews 13, 15. Verse 15 says, Through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So God loves it when we do good, when we're generous, when we're holy, when we're, you know, help serve others. God, he loves that. But according to the word, what God really loves is a worshiping priesthood. When his priests, when his people offer up the sacrifice of praising his name with their voices, it pleases him. It moves his heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit would transform all of us 
to be more generous, servant-minded, do good, walk in holiness. But my heart is deeply burdened that all of us here would be a worshiping priesthood. People of praise and worship. When we gather here at church, together in our homes, with our families, when you're alone in your car, no matter the context, what I'm exhorting all of us to do is to remember that we are a holy priesthood and God loves a worshiping priesthood. But why is it that the microphone... Check, check. Hello. (laughs) There we go. I'll use this one. When it comes to worship, why is it that this is increasingly becoming less and less common? Why is it so difficult that even at church gatherings, it's not very common unless like there's like an emotional push to do so? Why is it so uncommon to see this eruption of praise and worship? Why is it most of the time we'll sing our hearts out and look like fools to Taylor Swift, but then the Lord gets half-hearted, mindless words barely coming out of our mouth while we think about lunch? (laughs) I am so burdened by this that I want to call us to repentance. Repentance means change your mind about that. The only one worthy of our worship and our praise is the one true God that we just sang about. Now, what I'm not saying, really quick, is that listening to secular music is going to send you straight to hell. That's No. But what I am calling us to do is to be a people marked by authentic, genuine worship and praise and not just confined to this building but in gatherings with other believers, in our C groups, with our families, alone in your car, become a worshiper. Something I love about Pastor Ron is he is constantly encouraging all of us, just be a worshiper. Just be a worshiper. You ask Pastor Ron, how have you sustained so many years in ministry and, and, and walked in holiness and not been one of these that just fall? There's a lot of things, but one being be a worshiper be a worshiper. And so, be a worshiper. Christian Life Church, be a worshiper. Stop caring so much what others think. (laughs) Stop thinking everybody's gonna look at you. Put to death any pride that handcuffs you when it comes to singing and worshiping. It's not about you. It's not about you. All right. Y'all are going to walk away. Man, he was really mad today. (laughs) What does God like? He likes worship. The sacrifice of praise from the lips of his people, privately alone and corporately with others. He delights in worship. I hope that this goes without saying, but worship is not just for those that can sing good. If you're tone deaf and horrible at singing, this still applies to you. I've heard it said that somehow, miraculously, in between earth and heaven, there is a spiritual (laughs) auto-tune. And though that is funny, 
What it does, though, is it points, it, it points out an important thing. And this is crucial to understand. This is my message. This is really what burdens me. If your form is right, but your heart is wrong, then all is wrong. What I mean by this is that you may be the greatest singer in the whole world, singing worship songs, but if your heart's in the wrong place, then God actually despises that sacrifice. The right form, the right action, partnered with the wrong heart posture is actually displeasing to the Lord. In fact, scripture says he does not like it. He hates it. God delights in right form from a right heart. So whether you are an amazing singer or a terrible singer, God isn't really listening to your voice anyways. He's looking at your heart. You can apply this to anything. Everything we just talked about. Right form, wrong heart is displeasing. Generosity rooted in a wrong heart is a despising sacrifice. Serving others rooted in a wrong heart is a despising sacrifice to the Lord. Prayer, fasting, even outward appearances of godliness rooted in a wrong heart is despising to the Lord. I know this because you see it in the New Testament with the Pharisees. Right form, wrong heart. Go and read Isaiah chapter 1. God himself says to the Israelites, I do not like the sacrifices you are giving me because please hear this. It has never been all about the sacrifices of the blood of the bulls and the goats and the lambs in the Old Testament. It has never been all about the singing or the serving or the giving. God has always and will always be the God who is looking at the heart of the one giving the sacrifice. It is what he was looking at when they were sacrificing the animals in the Old Testament. It was almost as if he was saying, are they looking or are they doing this in a heart posture that is saying, Lord, apart from me or apart from you, I can do nothing. This is for you. And it's what he's looking at today. Almost as if he's saying, are they singing and praising my name in a heart posture that is saying, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. This is for you. So again, it can be a beautiful sound or a sound that the people next to you want to kind of step away from because it doesn't matter because what the Lord is looking at is what's happening right here. What does this sound like? What does this look like? So here, if your form is right, but your heart is wrong, then all is wrong. I pray we never fall into the deception that it's the right action and form. That's all that matters. No. Right heart, right form. That's what's pleasing. So what is God like? He likes worship. But true worship is true form, right form, and right heart. And God loves a worshiping priesthood. Amen? So there's a few couple thoughts as we quickly bring this to a close. I just wanted, I started to think, what is it that gets our heart wrong? What is it that causes our hearts to get wrong where we appear to have 
the right form and the right action, but what happens, especially in the topic of worship, what happens that causes the heart to go wrong? I just have two thoughts. Number one, corporate worship is not about the people on the stage. The Bible makes it clear that the body of Christ is made up of all of us, and each member has a function. So you might wonder, why is it that some have an ability to play musical instruments? Because God designed them that way and gifted us as Christian life with some awesome, amazing people that can sing and play instruments, all in an attempt to direct us and lead us like a composer with an orchestra. There's absolutely nothing wrong with sound amplification and musical instruments and singers. If you don't like any of that stuff, that's just more preference. That's not necessarily something the Bible says is for or against. There's nothing wrong with it all. But however, in that, especially in this context, two negative extremes can happen. One extreme is from the angle of the people on the stage. If you have the right form with the wrong heart, a deception that can happen is that musicians and singers can use the church stage as a platform to gain recognition for their musical abilities and their skills. I hate to admit, I was this person. Before I became a Christian, I was the guy on the stage singing Christian songs, really hoping that people saw me. I know what it's like to fall in that deception, but it's an out of balance thing. It is right form, wrong heart. And praise God, I know the team that leads us almost every Sunday, and this is not their heart at all. Praise God for a worship team that does not have this heart. But then there's another extreme that can happen, though. It's from the angle of the congregation. What can easily happen is a congregation can fall into the place of being entertained by the people on the stage as they worship. So it's almost as if the worship team becomes the priests for us and we just watch. And if that be the case, then we should just put the curtain back up and let them be in the Holy of Holies. It's not the worship team's worship for us and we just get the Holy Spirit sprinkled dust that falls on us as they worship. That's not, that's not what happens. That's out of balance too. It's not about the people on the stage. And it's not just about the chairs. The truth is, it's all of us. It's all of us together, the ones on the stage and off the stage, erupting in praise to the Lord, singing together, worshiping him. Just as much as it may bless you to hear the voices of the ones on the stage singing, there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to say it blesses them just as much to hear you singing as the congregation So the, the point is, what is God like? He likes worship, but not just worship. He loves worship that's in the right heart and the right form. What causes our hearts to get off? It's when we have an out-of-balance perspective of what really is going on when we sing together. And I felt it necessary to remind you that corporate worship, it's about all of us. 
It's about all of us lifting our voices in praise to God as he delights in the praise of his people. All right, that's number one. Number two, I'll be quick here. Worship is to bless God, not us. Worship is not an entertainment to watch, to make an audience feel good or cheered up or inspired. Worship is about all of us coming before God to glorify him and praise his name. It is to please him because he deserves it. He is worthy. He is holy. He's the one who rescued us. He deserves it. It's to bless him. We, we of course, hopefully you know, in the process of blessing him, it's totally fine if you feel blessed along the way by the worship, but when the blessing of you becomes the point, that's when it gets out of balance. Do you agree? Amen. Like it just pains my heart when I have heard it said, not by any of you, but someone else theoretically saying, I just wasn't feeling the worship today. They didn't sing any of the songs I like. It's like, I think you're missing the point. course it's fine to have a favorite song to sing but again worship is to bless God not us it's about him and in your pursuit to bless God you may be filled with joy you may be blessed in the process but it's about him it's about lifting his name up I told you you're gonna be mad at me today it's okay <laughs> let me summarize Jesus died so that we could come to him as the, he is the New Testament temple. When we come to him and we're in him, then we as a holy priesthood that can enter into, we can enter into his presence. And as priests, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And one of those being worship. And this is why the primary goal of Satan is to confuse and counterfeit and deceive believers of the power of worship. Because there's power in a worshiping priesthood. Everybody say there's power. There's power in a worshiping priesthood. And because of that, Satan will do everything in his power to keep God's priests from entering into his presence and experiencing the power of God. Satan is totally content with worship being reduced to dry, dead, ritualistic, traditional singing. He's also content with worship being a great concert while the believers sit in passivity watching the great musicians entertain them. He's totally cool with both. But what causes Satan to back away in fear is when a holy priesthood with the right heart and the right form in unity, gather together to lift high the name of their God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That puts the enemy on the run. Because there's power in a worshiping priesthood. I want to close with just one story, and then I'll pray for us, and then we will worship. So back in 2007, though you may have heard of this, I hadn't heard of this until this week, 
The Washington Post newspaper had a young man play a violin in a train station, and he arranged, or the newspaper arranged for cameras to be hidden in the train station to capture what would take place. And so this guy, he played for 45 minutes on his violin with a t-shirt and a Washington Nationals baseball hat on. And, and according to the cameras, 1,097 people were present and walked past him in the span of 45 minutes. And as he began, three minutes went by before anyone even stopped or noticed the guy playing. On the fourth minute, a woman walked to his case and threw a dollar in. And as you, I watched the video, as you see, in 45 minutes, out of the 1,097 people, only seven people actually stopped to listen. And it wasn't adults that stopped. It was children. And 100 feet away from this guy, a continuous flow of people were lined up to buy lottery tickets. And, and you could see not, not one of the people in the line turned to see the guy. One guy sat several feet away on his iPod with his headphones listening to his own music. Another lady nearby running a shoeshine stand heard the music but was apparently annoyed at the musician interrupting her normal flow. After 45 minutes, a lady walked into the train station and you see her, she just stands there <laughs> and she's freaking out and the guy eventually stops and she ran up to him and she says, I know who you are. You're Joshua Bell. She said, I saw you in concert recently. It was this guy named Joshua Bell, a musician. He was one of the most famous violinists in the entire world. Prior to that moment, he had just received the reward for the best classical musician in America. And he was playing in the train station this 300-year-old violin that he had just bought for $3.5 million. <laughs> and so this is just what the newspaper said. Why did they do this? To see if people would recognize they were in the presence of greatness if no one told them. And their conclusion was that only the children noticed because the children were the only ones unprogrammed as yet to live by the values of this world, which were the demands of work, the cares of life, and trying to win the lottery. So this is what they said. And so with that in mind, just to give you the perspective what is your perception in worship? Do you come out of worship thinking more about what happened to you last week or what's going to happen this week? Or do you realize you're in the presence of the living God? Do you realize that you are in the holy of holies with God's priesthood? Do you realize in worship that you are in the place where you can encounter the power of God and see it released into the world through your praise? Do you realize that? Or are you like the guy on the iPod? You hear music, but you're missing what's going on right in front of you. Worship's just a bunch of songs. I don't really like them that much. Or are you like the people in line for the lottery ticket 
too busy and distracted by the cares of the world just to see whose presence you are in? Or do you come like a child? Not programmed, not distracted by the cares and needs of the world. You're just a son or a daughter in the presence of a king that deserves all of our worship. There's power in a worshiping priesthood. And a worshiping priesthood is the most dangerous thing in the world. And here's good news. We are the worshiping priesthood. It just takes us recognizing it. Stand with me. Let's stand together. So this is the, the burden of my heart just, just to share today. And like Emily Moretti said, I, I don't really believe that you're here today by accident. You're in the chair you're in, not by just random chance. I, I really do believe in faith. The Lord has us here, or if you're watching online, the Lord is, has us here listening because perhaps he wants to speak to us crazy would it be to just coast through life and like the story says miss miss and fail to recognize whose presence we are in and when we gather here every Sunday and we worship and we preach the word we are in the presence of God Almighty and man what a tragedy it would be to miss that and so my point of today is to remind you You're a priest. You are a holy priesthood made holy by Jesus. If you're not in the family, if you're not in Christ, the good news is you're invited to come today for the forgiveness of your sin. Come to Jesus. Come talk to me. Come talk to somebody. We will happily walk with you. But all of us that are in Christ, we are a holy priesthood. And today I wanted to remind you that what is God like? He likes our worship. But not just the lip service. It's all about the heart. Right form, right heart. That is what pleases the Lord. And so anything that wrestles to deceive or get your heart off track, I pray by the Holy Spirit's work today that he would do something in your heart to get it properly placed. It's not about us. It's not just about you. It's about all of us. And like this song that we've been singing, Gratitude, Worship is not just an emotion. There's sometimes where you got to say, come on, my soul. Don't get shy on me. Lift up your song. You've got a lion inside. Praise the Lord. Like King David says, he had to preach to himself. Why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Praise the Lord. Get up. Worship is not just an emotion, but worship, right heart, right form, is pleasing to the Lord. I know some of you probably don't feel it all the time. It's still pleasing when we can, despite our feelings, lift up our song to the one who is worthy. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we will worship and then Emily will dismiss us. Lord, thank you so much. 
Lord, help us all to receive this message. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are worthy. We, we join with all of the elders and the beasts. We say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, you deserve all of our worship. You are holy. You are set apart. There's no one like you. And Lord, thank you that you would make a way for us to be able to come into your presence right now. We are in the holy of holies. And so we, th we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice that would wash us and cleanse us to make us able to be able to stand in your presence, God. And Lord, we just wanna please you. We just wanna make your heart full of joy, delighting in the praise of your people. And so Lord, right now, we just wanna worship you. God, if, if, if it was money you wanted, we'd, we'd attempt to bring it. Lord, if it was our time or our, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we would bring it. But Lord, what you delight in is just the heart. And so, Lord, with our hearts connected to you, we just want to worship you. We want to sing and praise and sing hallelujah to the one who is worthy. And so, Lord, I pray not just in this time, but would you cause your people to become a worshiping people alone with our families and in this church. Lord, we want to worship you in the right heart and the right form. So be glorified today, Lord. We love you so much. We praise your name, in Jesus' name, amen.